Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person, and therefore has something to teach you, and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome to the first ever live Chief Executive Connector panel edition with two of the smartest guys that I know, two corporate leaders that have both very different backgrounds, yet significant in, in their impact and their breadth. We got Kyle Gordon, who is the vice president of sales. Oh, by the way, neither of these corporate leaders are here representing their company. We're just talking about their corporate experience, right guys? Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Deal. All right. Kyle Gordon, you're vice president of sales and marketing at Global Transformation Leader and a Fortune 200 diversified industrial that I think we all know by the name of Stanley. Welcome, Kyle. Good to see you, buddy. Thanks for having me, bud. And Bo Wilkes, right? Who is managing director at the Innovation Center of a $2 billion healthcare system known as Ballot Health. Welcome, Bo. Thanks, Papa. Good to be here. All right, man. Uh, my, and, and I'm, you know, for those of you joining us, right, I, I, I'd like to welcome, welcome you, Barbara, welcome you, Caroline, welcome Jean Liu and welcome Lisa. Lisa, I want to give you a shout out, right? Lisa is the chief growth officer for, um, this platform that we kind of are hosting on, not, not zoom, but a hub that is, I like to describe it as if Eventbrite and Clubhouse had a baby and blockchain was the nanny, right? So it is, it, it is, it is a future tool of communication where people can host these virtual events. It tracks all of the interactions and on and, and all the referrals and who comes into what and allows you to build a community. I think it's a fascinating tool. I started by one of the co-founders of LinkedIn. So we are, we're kind of on the forefront of this, of this new technology. And yeah, Lisa, there's your shout out. Uh, my name is Pablo Gonzalez. I'm the host of the Chief Executive Connector podcast. I have a company called Be The Stage. That's a content marketing community creation agency. And, you know, we're going to get into each other's, each other's background. Let, let's just dive into it. You know, Bo, can you tell me, managing director of an innovation center, what's a, what's a day in the life? What are you working on these days on a day-to-day basis? And kind of like, what's your, what are your big goals for 2021? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, as we look to 2021, obviously 2020 was a challenge for healthcare and, and really trying to setting the stage for innovation. Healthcare continues to be challenged as margins get a little bit smaller as far as what the future holds. And so the Innovation Center is really trying to look at strategic initiatives within the organization and uh, try to try to innovate to solve problems, whether it be, you know, improving access, improving quality, improving the experience, but also trying to produce revenue opportunities for the organization. So spend a lot of time working with our executives around our strategic initiatives, trying to, to identify solutions there, whether it be internal or external, as well as I also wear a different hat as president of Ballad Ventures, looking at investment opportunities within the organization, external to the organization to bring it as well. So it's uh, no, no days the same, which, is, which I absolutely love. So, so I get to really enjoy, but we're, we're very early on the ground floor trying to take off. And so majority of 2021 will be kind of setting, continue to set up the structure, the governance structure, policies, procedures, et cetera. Is, is having a innovation department something that you see in a lot of healthcare? Like, is this something that you're emulating from a different healthcare group that you saw do this? Is this kind of like, are you on the forefront of doing this kind of thing or, or is it like an industry standard? I wouldn't say that we're on the forefront, but I wouldn't say industry standard. I think everybody's different. Um, you know, as you look to some of the larger systems out in the Pacific Northwest where, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the big players, the big tech players play, um, they've been doing this long before others were, but, but I think, uh, everyone else is starting to come to the table and in, in different, different roles and different fashion. Um, I always like to say, if you've seen one innovation structure, you've seen one innovation structure, everybody operates just a little bit different. Uh, so we're learning from others, but we're also growing internally. Um, and we're helping others grow. So it's a, it's a great opportunity. It's a great spot to be. We're really in the, the throes, if you will, of, of, the digital transformation within healthcare. So it's a really exciting opportunity. Awesome. Kyle, VP of sales and marketing, pretty, pretty common title uh, across corporate America. What is your, what is the scope of what you're working on right now? What are your goals for 2021? What's a day in the life? Um, yeah. So, so Stanley, so San, Stanley Black and Decker, a, a lot of people are um, familiar say, uh, diversified industrial, about 60,000 uh, employees. And then within that, there's different business units. So I lead um, sales, field sales for North America for our Stanley Security Group. So that's about 300 outside sales team members, about uh, four, uh, 35 managers and some directors. And uh, a day in the life has changed drastically over the course of um, 18 months, a little less than that, Pablo, because uh, those were all outside sales consultants who, uh, what we do on a daily basis is, uh, we consult, um, with institutions, whether it's a healthcare institution, like what, what Bo works for over at Ballot, or if it's a, a university or if it's a retail, uh, customer, uh, and we basically take a look at their physical security, um, and, and recommend upgrades around that. Obviously we've had a drastic, um, pivot here, not only from the way that we work, from the way that people are working with us, um, specifically around how you how you use tools that we've already installed in many cases and in, in service to 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 prevent spread in in, in large areas and uh, large institutions. So uh, last year, about this time, I guess it's March 
3rd. So about a week from next week would be mark the year when we basically told 300 sales consultants that they're working remotely from home. And these are people who every day get up at five o'clock in the morning, get in the car and they're on their way to their first appointment by six, six thirty. So it was a, it was a journey. I bet, man, you guys, I mean, you, you are the quintessential institutional business that is road warriors that are out there, you know, beating the pavement, bringing donuts to clients and spending time in front of them and trying to be helpful. And the, the world completely changed overnight. Right. And, and, and I'd love to, I'd love to get into that, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No more donuts, (laughs) no more donuts, no more donuts and a lot less talk radio, unfortunately for a lot of us. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was, um, it was the most challenging and most gratifying year of my life professionally because of the rate that we had to learn and adapt. Um, and now the challenge has really started to set in from a leadership standpoint, because last year, uh, it was more of the, there was almost an excitement around trying to figure something out that was so new and everyone kind of banded together. Now that you're, and I think all industries are going through this now that you're starting to realize that this new normal is here for an extended period of time, it's almost your new baseline and you've got to figure out how to operate within that for an extended time. Um, you know, there's some, there's some challenges certainly in, in living with that reality, but there's also some really nice opportunities as well. Yeah, man. I like, I like how you phrase that. I, I often say that 2020 is one of, is one of the best years of my life, right? Like it, it has been this, I think the three of us here are guys that have a finger on the pulse of what's coming, aren't afraid to to make a move ahead of time. And I think for people that are in that visionary category, 2020 was a pretty good year, all like pain and health aside for for people that hurt. But Kyle said something around uh, a new normal that's starting to set in, and that makes a lot of sense for him. Are you guys in healthcare? I I, I are you feeling like you're settling into a new normal or are things still really rapidly changing in healthcare because the, you know, the vaccine is still not rolling out. Like all this other stuff is happening. What's going on there. I, I would say healthcare is entering just a new stage. I mean, COVID really uh, escalated the digital transformation, you know, for the longest time we've been talking about the need to adopt and, you know, healthcare has always been 10 years behind everybody else. And so as you look at a lot of the stuff Kyle talks about, or even in the travel industry, that's probably the best that we all know, right? Like I can go and get on an airplane through my cell phone and I can track my bags. I can purchase my ticket. I can do everything. Healthcare's just not been there. And so when you start to create a pandemic and, and you really start to kind of pull folks back and, and hospitals become almost the last place people want to be, you really start to create a new normal. And so that digital transformation has really been escalated. So you come back to, you know, innovation. Healthcare systems really kind of leaned into innovation and the digital transformation is what we're experiencing. So you've got a lot of things like the digital front door, which is all about making the process easier for patients, but you also have things going on like virtual health. So how do you create access? And it's not just virtual health of, I've got a sore throat, how can I see my primary care provider, it's talking about hospital at home and potentially ICU at home. And how are you bridging all of that gap? Because that increases access points and that's better for the patient, for the clinician, for just a number of different ways. So 
I would say the new normal is just beginning. It's, I would say it's a new chapter and it's a really exciting time to be in healthcare. It's interesting to hear you say that healthcare is 10 years behind every, everyone else. Cause I feel like the industry I came from prior to this construction was 10 years or maybe 25 years behind everyone else. Kyle, do you, do you feel that diversified industrialist 10 years behind everybody else? I mean, like who, who is on pace? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, so, so the cool thing about, um, working at Stanley Black and Decker is I kind of get a lens into all of these different markets, right? So DeWalt, Porter Cable, Craftsman, I mean, it, it, Stanley, we have a, a phenomenal base within the construction as well as the, the, the do-it-yourself space and tons of innovation around do-it-yourself right now. I think you see, um, and where we've seen some really significant, um, acceleration in our innovation is around e-commerce from, from that consumer goods standpoint. And it's, it's the, the team and our global tools and storage team has done a phenomenal job there in my world in security and safety. Um, we, we've been lucky enough to, uh, and we're certainly not bleeding edge. We're certainly not driving at all times innovation, but the nice thing about being, um, a service provider for devices that are reside on your network is you, you naturally have, you have organic data lakes. Now, whether you choose to do anything with them, that's, that's for us to figure out is how do you actually take that Intel and make it interesting for the customer experience. But I got a, I got a video surveillance camera on the wall. I've got an access control panel. I've got a credential that allows me to get in. And by the way, uh, this can also help me get into my laptop. And uh, to start the day, and I can also sync up with visitor management for health screening. There, I just I outlined an average day of call it your traditional corporate employee who walks into an entrance of a front door at a corporate campus, and there's six to seven different data points that we got right there. Um, so I think I think what's really interesting about where we're at and where it's accelerating us to be is. Um, is really now with sort of this hybrid model of how people come to work every day, uh, understanding how we can help them better leverage a lot of things, not only their safety or their security, better manage their, the efficiency of their building. Um, when do you need to occupy it? Do you need to have, um, do you need to have corporate headquarters like we used to have with 300 people going to a cube every day, or is there a more efficient way uh, now in sort of this hoteling world that we're living in um, where it's a shared space. And, and so we have inputs that are throughout every building that can help us help customers, um, make those more informed decisions, but it's a heck of a lot of work to do it in a way that's user-friendly and that the customers can really appreciate it. So it's really pushing us, I would say, uh, 18 months ago, Pablo, we were your traditional security provider. We're walking around your perimeter and we're pointing out gaps in your video surveillance. We're pointing out weak points in your access control and where you should have uh, funnel points for, you know, traditional security. And now we do all that, but boy, we're talking a lot about visitor management and space management and um, guest Wi-Fi. Like it, it's really strange and exciting how quickly things have pivoted because of um because of the position that COVID put us all in. And it really has, has made all customers just like, um, you know, just like, just like Bow and Ballot Health really rethink how you approach the industry in general. 
And our job as a service provider is to make sure that we're rethinking that along with them or, or hopefully um, bringing some different thoughts to the table um, to help to help contribute. Hey, Kyle, jump in. Like, who's helping drive that rethinking? Like, who's helping drive that process? I mean, I think that's crucial. You know, as we start thinking about yeah. healthcare, there's a really good conversation going on, but um, it it. It's kind of lost on who's owning and who's driving that. So, from just a leadership perspective, tell tell me how you guys are kind of talking about that amongst yourselves and and who's kind of driving that. A lot of voice of customer. So, as much as we can, we try and listen and just say, "What are you seeing?" Um, so, so we're lucky enough to 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 be um, really to be represented in every industry. Bo, and so we can we can sort of do side panels and say, okay, what are the top three things that data centers are looking to do now, or what are the top three things that um, institutions of higher education are doing now that they're thinking about reopening? Um, so we'll bring bring them in and then talk about and, and ask them a lot of questions about how they're pivoting, and then from there, um, I think it's an evolving process, Bo. I think I think what used to be like the fun, cool thing where you'd go out to you go out to the bay for a couple of days and you'd like, you'd like chalk it up in a room. And now, now we're all doing that remotely. It's not in my experience. It, we used to have the leeway of time a little bit. It was kind of a cool thing to sort of go out to an innovation summit for three days and like come back with it. Now it's like, we got to figure out some problems for our customers. Um, so that, I don't know, it, it feels like there's a different level of urgency, but to answer your question directly, Bo, it's, it's a cross section of people internally. Um, and then there's ex external subject matter experts that we've been bringing in as well as most importantly, our customers. Um, and I've found at least so far that the most effective way to lead these conversations is at the table set in the beginning that none of us have the answers. <laughs> And we're trying to we're we're really trying to work through it together. And that way, um, you can and and out of that, we've found some really interesting use cases and opportunities for us to impact um, our 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 customers uh, positively as and then you know ourselves in the process. When you say bring them in, what do you mean? Well, bring them in these days is this right? It used to be, it used to be that we would. We would have a we'd have customer councils face to face. Is probably the thing I miss the most um, about my my same role previous period, um, if you will. Um, but no, a, a lot of a, a lot of structured um, content conversations here, just like what we're doing here, where we where we talk about. We do try and steer the conversations because if you open up and you just say, "How are you handling yeah. COVID?" I mean that's that's a recipe for a conversation that that goes everywhere and nowhere at the same time. But if you bring it in and say specifically, how are you solving for space management and the fact that real estate is you know the premium on real estate is changing and the dynamic of corporate real estate? So you give them a specific use case, you give them a specific question to solve. Um, we found that you know giving giving them some guidance for the sessions have, has proven to be really beneficial and productive. Interesting. Bo, so, so that's Kyle. He's, he's serving an industry. So you can bring in leaders of industry and say, I want the three biggest companies. You can't in healthcare, you can't bring in the 10 sickest people, 
right? Like what's your, what's your listening mechanism to the voice of the customer? Or is it driven? I mean, it's multifaceted, right? Like, I, well, no, it's not, I would say there's two two real customers in in healthcare, in in my opinion. Um, you know, I think first and foremost is the patient, uh, and and the patient and their surrounding family, because you you need to be sure that uh, you're providing the care that they're you're communicating with them, all of those things. But then it's also the clinicians, and it's not just physicians; it's physical therapist, it's nurses. I mean, it, you, you know, you run the gamut of those that are providing care. And so those really become your customers, at least from my perspective, from innovation. And so as we start to think a lot through that, it's really trying to root all decisions in that. And and so um, really trying to dig into that and, and trying to almost rethink, you know, I've been reading Adam, uh, Adam Grant's book, um, Think Again, and, you know, a lot of that is rooted in, you know, experience is great, but it can also be a crutch because it's very easy to go back to how things were. Well, yeah. 2019 is in the past and, and we're going to have to pivot from that. And, and COVID in just a, a lot of different ways has accelerated our ability, in my opinion, to be able to improve access to rural communities, to underserved communities, um, to different disease states. I mean, it just runs the gamut uh, as far as what you're trying to look at. And so as you look at a lot of these things, trying to dig into the research and just other various aspects of things, it becomes uh, really, really exciting to, to understand what that is uh, and, and what's going on. And I'll say it, the industry is taking off because as you look at the money that's coming in, just in the kind of the venture capital and private equity space, there's a lot of folks and entrepreneurs that are trying to change it. And I think that speaks to volumes just with how much money is kind of being pushed into uh, to, to the healthcare space to truly change it for the better. That makes sense. So, so Deborah, who's here with us right now, she's asking, are you helping provide panels to help bridge the communication between patients, advocates, and the, and the medical community? Are you guys hosting any kind of like town hall events like that? Kind of like what Kyle's doing, Voice of the Customer. Have you guys gone down that path of like a virtual summit or something like that? We haven't done a, a virtual summit. Um, I still think to, to some extent technology scares people a little bit. Again, it's, it's, the old, it's a different way of, of connecting. Uh, you know, the, the desire would be still to, to connect uh, you know, in a room face-to-face across from a table, obviously been presented with dynamics, uh, different dynamics over the last year. So we've adapted some, but, you know, as things kind of come back to normal, I, I see a tendency to, to shift to that. You know, Kyle's got the luxury of being an international company. And so I, I say luxury of an international company. You've got to get creative from the start to be able to connect. Uh, you know, we're a regional-based company, so it's a little bit different dynamics. Um, you know, as opposed to saying, hey, we can just uh, z- jump on a Zoom, you know, the, the, the human tendency is to have somebody drive down for an hour to, to a face-to-face meeting just to have that human interaction. Um, but, but again, is that the most valuable use of time? Again, it's really kind of rethinking what we've, what we've known for so long. And I think that's the challenge as we move into, you know, kind of establishing what we're here to talk about, the corporate culture. I'm glad you and said I think one thing. Uh, to think about here, it's it's interesting because, you know, neither, you know, both said it more eloquently than I did. But but when you asked what what we're doing or how we're pivoting, and neither one of us really talked about new widgets or technology. It's about it's really it's about evolving the customer experience at a rapid pace. So we 
very quickly um, are currently trying to close the feedback loop from our customer experience faster. We have, we have, we, we have call it a 400,000 customers, right? Something like that. Um, a, a little, a, a little over, but we'll just call it that from a monitoring customer base, along with customers who do work. And on a daily basis, what keeps me up at night is how I have, I have 300 salespeople. I can't cover that base with manpower. I have to do it with technology. And every time a customer interacts with my system, with our services, with a team member of ours, with a with with a with a billing specialist, there's an opportunity to gather data so that we can improve that experience. And I think similar in the healthcare space, it's it's how do you how do you close that feedback loop? How do you measure yourself and how do you improve constantly? That's that's our biggest lift right now. Um, security industry in general is pretty good at servicing, kind of solving for the very primal needs of securing, um, you know, a space and keeping people safe, but, but certainly was not, um, leading the way in terms of customer experience, especially a digital customer experience. Um, and that's similar to, uh, that's similar to, I think what I was hearing with Bo. And so that's, that's a huge area of opportunity where I think a lot of industries have sort of taken this COVID break, if you will, to sort of really explore how they engage um, remotely with their customers and, and how they do it in a proactive manner. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. And and I'd, I'd love to, you know, we kind of just painted the picture of where the world is today and what y'all are doing today. I would love to, I, I wanted to set that as like a baseline and then go back and, you know, talk about the subject of this, right? Talk about leadership culture. You guys are both, I mean, I'm, I'm 40, Bo, I think you just told me you're 39. Kyle, you're what, like 22? 22 ish. Yeah. No, I'm 34. Yeah. So we're all, we're all, you know, 34. Wow. All right. You've, you, you mature nicely. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're well, when you don't get a haircut for the whole, you know, COVID session there, that, that that'll help. Yeah. That helps. That helps. And the baby, and the new baby helps too. Right. Um, yeah. That too. Yep we're, we're young guys, right? Like we are at the end of the day, millennials has been this like bad word for, for a while and nobody ever wants to identify with it. But at the end of the day, the three of us represent the older segment of millennials that are moving up into the workforce. And this is a trend that's now just at the beginning of it, right? Like there is going to be way more people from our generation that started using email at some point when they were young that had a cell phone probably in college maybe in high school you know and younger and i i would love to just kind of frame what informs your perspectives on leadership and culture and by that i'm essentially asking you to kind of bo tell me a little bit about your career and how you got to where you were and you also mentioned adam grant like i'd love to for you to just kind of like Tell me about your career and 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 how you got there, and um and what type of stuff you are studying on the outside, and what it, what are you learning from that is that is illuminating kind of like your viewpoint in life these days. So uh, you know, I spent the first year out of college really uh, enjoying life and uh, worked for ESPN and had that luxury. So spent you know. 12 months out of the year flying all over North America. So that was fantastic. 
got got back into healthcare, kind of grew up within strategic planning, um, went the, the, the hospital operations route, uh, but, but ultimately ended up, I love to operate in the white space. Like that's just, that's where I excel. Like I, I love the, uh, the flexibility and the challenge of just, uh, kind of being everywhere. Right. And, and, um, you know, being a financial analyst one day, a strategic analyst the next day, really just trying to dig in and, and, and being vulnerable and trying to grow as much as I can professionally. Um, so, so, I mean, that's, I, I think it rooted in that becomes very, very important. And so from a leadership perspective, um, I had a lot of really great mentors that I leaned into. I, I'm, a, um, I, I, I've always valued kind of community. Uh, and I view my network as community. And so I've really never been one to hesitate to reach out to mentors and really kind of engage and, and grow from them. And so I had a lot of great, uh, you know, mentors really, really young. Um, and, and some of the things that it always rooted in, uh, you know, my first ever Boston healthcare uh, used to always we 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 won as a team and he always failed as a leader. Uh, and so he always kind of protected the team from that. And, and that always stuck with me because I would run through the wall for him because I, I knew that I could take, you know, educated risk of trying to do something maybe a little bit beyond my skill set to grow and hopefully help the team because I knew that he was always going to kind of be there to, to be able to lean on. So that was one thing. And then the other thing that really stuck with me at a young age was he said, as a leader, always hire for your weaknesses. And always hire people that are better than you. Um, don't be afraid that they're, you know, may or may not take your job. That doesn't matter. Keep your head down. Continue to do what you want to do. But, you know, build out your team in a way that, that truly rounds you out to, to be successful. And so that, that becomes valuable. But so, so outside of leadership, I think, you know, network and being vulnerable. You know, you had a post recently on vulnerability. I think that's the most important thing really kind of identifying where you are, being responsible when you're doing those self-assessments within your organization, proactively using the tools that are there, leaning on your mentors where you can, and then just having conversations like this. You know, I, I, I can tell you in 30 minutes, I've already grown from that conversation, but it becomes valuable to be able to have conversations and, and continue to interact. And then lastly, would just be, you know, trying to read um, and, and challenge yourself in that particular way. Any, do you have a particular business author or source that you derive the most guidance from as far as leadership and or corporate culture principles? No, I mean, I would normally say Jim Collins is, is a good one to, to kind of, you know, re, you know, ground yourself in anything you do. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of great uh, offerings there that, that I would say that's probably a pretty strong backbone of I have, but I, I really like to start to get into the psychology of things and challenge myself from that standpoint. You know, why do I act the way I do or why does my team act the way they do in certain situations, whether it be stress, whether it be through a pandemic, whether it be through any of that. And I think just trying to be self-aware um, and then trying to really dig in and understand what that is, not from a trying to be, you, you know, trying to pry into that, but really try to get into the, the context of how you can help your team grow together. And, and, you know, as a leader, sometimes it's difficult to be vulnerable, right? You're always expected to have this very stoic, um, you know, everything is under control. 
you know, kind of a duck, you know, you're, you're very calm above water, but you're paddling like heck below the water. Um, and, and, you know, I think that it, it's challenging at times and, and you, you've got to at least be able to, to relate to your staff while still kind of towing that fine line. That makes sense. How about you, Kyle, man? What's, what's been your, your formation as a leader corporately and kind of what informs it from the outside of corporate? So I started with Stanley, um, three days out of college as an entry-level salesperson in upstate New York, where I'm from. Um, and so that was, um, and my, my, my father is still in the industry. So I was kind of, I kind of, I knew I was always going to get into sales. I didn't really think I was getting going to get into security sales, but it was a job out of college. Um, it's actually at a competitor, but, um, we have, it's actually really cool to, to talk, to have something to sort of talk to my dad about on a, on a daily basis. The industry is, is kind of cool. Um, in that sense, it's a small industry, even though it's, it's a pretty big one. Um, so I started as an entry level salesperson and you got a bunch of customers who are canceling on you and you've got to go basically go and call them and ask why they cancel. And you drive for anyone who's familiar with upstate New York, you drive all over the place and it's, uh, a lot of road time, a lot of contemplating, but um, in my formative years, if you will, professionally, I didn't really have, um, I had a sales manager for a, a small bit, but then for a couple of years, I was pretty much rogue up there and I learned from our technicians. And so in our world, you know, we sell something, but a service technician goes and they install it and a project manager makes sure it's done correctly. And you know, these are the, the men and the women in the in the service industry that are um, they're up on the ladders and they're hanging things when it's in upstate New York, when it's negative 10 degrees out. On a, and you just, you learn so much about work ethic from, um, from people who take pride in hands-on, um, in hands-on labor on a daily basis. And so I was lucky enough to start my career kind of shadowing our operations team and, and what we call in our organization, our operations teammates, and then took on pretty much every commercial role that we have in, in the organization. So whether it was verticals or national accounts with, with, with large uh, national customers um, and then just different leadership levels got into management and then, then had the opportunity um, about five years ago now, I guess, um, to, to go up a corporate and work on corporate partnerships. So Stanley Black and Decker corporate level. So we worked on, corporate partnerships. Uh, I led an effort, which is, is still sustained today around what we call cross business collaboration. So we have all of these different business units um, who basically call on the same customers and don't even know it, essentially. Um, and so we, we led an effort to, to help the organization realize the benefit of networking internally. You'd be shocked at how many customers uh, interact with a Stanley Black and Decker employee on a daily basis. I mean, there's four or five in all likelihood on a regular time. If you're talking from the from the garage um, with with the tools and the facilities team to in healthcare, we do things like infant protection. Um, so, anyways, we're not going to get into all of it, but it, it blew my mind the commercial opportunity that we were missing. So we built that. I learned a ton, and then I was. Um, lucky enough to be asked to come back and lead some transformation efforts within the security business uh, from a global commercial perspective. Just look at how we did things, look at how we want to do things. Um, 
and and also put in this this leadership role for uh, for North America for sales. I would say, um, I, I would say I'm driven on a daily basis by what I knew. I, I represent who I was. It said in a different way. I started as an entry level salesperson, and I got to learn firsthand all of the challenges of starting in the field without support and just kind of trying to figure it out on your own. So I, so having only worked here, um, that experience, my entire experience has led me to, um, what I would say is an obligation on a daily basis to make the next Kyle Gordon's life easier. Um, so I just think about everything that I would have, would have liked to have seen done differently when I was starting off. And I try and I fail often, but I, uh, all the time, I mean, I think we all fail every day, but I try and, and positively impact that for my team. Um, you asked about sort of author. I'm a big Simon Sinek guy. Um, he, he, uh, he influenced kind of, kind of pivoted my philosophy on, uh, I've, I've, I've always considered myself confident enough to be vulnerable, if that makes sense. And, and Bo hit on it before, but it was almost in a self-gratifying way. And it was almost until you, you kind of read up on where Simon's head is at, at least in my experience, where you get the real value out of empathy and understanding. And um, there's a big gear for empathy. Yeah. Uh, we, we had some emotional intelligence sessions we're lucky enough at stanley to have a phenomenal resource one of the smartest people i've ever met leading a global emotional intelligence initiative for our organization and we did i mean we must have done a dozen sessions with him as a leadership team for my team as well as with the individual sales consultants and um that's it's really important right now and and it and and sorry to keep talking but this is i think in contrast to what Bo talked about and what you talked about, Pablo. I mean, this, the idea of having healing sessions yeah. in a, in a 180 or 178 year old diversified industrial 20 years ago, that, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even bring that up. And now it's, it's a global initiative. It just shows the power of sort of the pivot in how we approach talking about feelings and how we approach leadership in general. That's really interesting to me, man. So a couple of a couple of things that I find really interesting is number one that you have you've had this meteoric rise without coming from any kind of like a structured corporate training program, right? Like you 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 came in as a, a as a entry level sales guy, but when you came into healthcare, were you in like do I remember correctly thinking that you were in kind of like a um, healthcare CEO kind of like path? structured program or, or, or were you also just kind of like came in and, and have just bounced around and, and taken leaps like that? <clears throat> taking leaps started as a grant analyst within our grants department, moved to a grant manager, then popped over to a planning analyst and, and kind of grew up uh, kind of through there and then popped over to hospital operations. So there's no like, you know, outside of like residency programs within healthcare, there's really no like defined path of like, do this, do this, do this. Um, and, and so it's, it's been great. And, and some of the stuff that Kyle mentioned, and I would just say from a leadership standpoint that are so have been so valuable and are still so valuable to me is that 
that shadowing and that real world. You know, we talk a lot about the voice of the customer. You can hear the voice of the customer, go live the voice of the customer. And so whether that customer be your patient, whether that customer be your team, whether that customer be, you know, whoever, um, once you live that, it, you you take on a completely different lens. And so more often than not, uh, when I was a hospital operator or wherever, I always tried to spend um, at, at least one day a month, and maybe it was one day every other month, kind of walking the shoes of the folks, you know, so I would block out, like I'd try to block out a full day to, to go be there and to truly understand because, you know, you start talking about empathy and compassion and everything when they start talking about their challenges and everything and you've been right beside them whether it be like environmental services or whether it be supply chain or whatever it may be um you know being on the front lines of security understanding what that is and then never forgetting that becomes becomes huge yeah that makes a lot of sense man i listen i i came up with i came out of college and straight into a executive and training program, right? So it's like, for me, it's the opposite. And I always assume that anybody that moves up quickly is because of that, right? Um, so I, I went into this executive and training program that was a very structured, first, they started me off installing insulation, right? Because it was this like subcontractor kind of thing. And then, and then went through the roles, right? Like just the structured went through installation, production management, sales, division management, accounts receivables, right? Like, like all that stuff. And took over an operation at 24 in Southern California of like a hundred people and a $50 million PNL. Uh, not really sure if I was totally ready for that back. Then. I mean, I look back at it and I definitely wasn't, I, I'm not the same guy I am now, right? Like obviously. And, and, and I wonder what the heck was going on in, in, in my brain, but it was, it was definitely like a, a laid out path in front of me until 2009 hit. And I decided I had to, I had, you know, gotten exposure. My first mentor was the guy that they put me under in the division, the division manager, you know, kind of like training piece. He was an old school, came up as an installer and kind of like Kyle came in on the floor and, uh, and moved up into like upper management. And then when this company went public, you know, he was one of the few guys that wasn't somebody that had been acquired. So just built into me, this whole PL management and, and the and and the care for the installer and being responsible for all that stuff, um, and my dad has always been a PNL operating entrepreneur kind of guy. Like right, my dad's always been somebody that runs a business off of a balance sheet, and he was doing corporate takeovers and leverage buyouts in the eighties in Latin America, and 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 he came up that way. So it was you know kind of kind of like what you said, this like having a having a moment in your career where all of a sudden you're talking shop with your old man was definitely, was definitely a big part of my formation. And then I took a complete, you know, I don't know if it was a complete turn, but I, I, I found that once I, once I left that part and I started my own green building company and then later got acquired by my biggest client and I went in house, my mentorship started coming from completely different places, right? Like, like once I, I left the big, big corporation and started working for a more like mid to smaller size. And then it was getting involved in the community, right? Like I, I started getting really active in nonprofit groups and 
then it moved to that stage that you talked about, Bo, that networking part where it was like seeing community leaders at scale and how they operate in hand-to-hand combat of networking and building relationships and how you kind of connect the dots between people became a really, really big part of my formation. And and nowadays, um, one of the biggest mentors I have is my biggest client, right? Like it's it's this idea that I'm serving this million real estate investing company, and they've built this amazing company of like 85 people where it feels like an in and out, right? Like everybody's super happy to be there at all times. <laughs> and, 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 and from every employee to every service provider to, to the leadership team, it's all very core values driven and mission oriented. And it's always on message. And I had never seen it I had seen it on a big scale, what it's supposed to look like, right? Like the business, the business book, you know, like of, of, of the Jim Collins, good to great kind of like story. I had never seen it on a small scale up close. And that's, what's been driving my curiosity in culture, in leadership. Um, And I would say my biggest influences on, on what I, that have shaped my opinion on this stuff has been Brene Brown, right? Like her, her whole thing on, on vulnerability and, and, has has really been what added that to my lexicon. And then Jim Collins, right? Like I, I very much, very much echo with Jim Collins's framework for building a business. And then very much as leadership is Gary Vee, right? I don't know if you guys follow Gary Vaynerchuk as much, but you know, he was the first kind of hard charging alpha male dude that was preaching kindness and and adding value and and doing more for the other person than they're doing for you as a strategy and executing it on a high level, right? Like that, that kind of like seeing, seeing that archetype be able to operate in that fashion was kind of like what released me to be like, okay, I can apply the nonprofit stuff into the business world, which I was already doing, but now I have somebody that's actually validating that stuff. Did, did either of you guys ever need, did ever either of you guys ever feel like you needed validation to kind of implement something that was cooking from not a direct line of influence? But what I said was really inspiring. No, I, 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 so I suffer through imposter syndrome on a daily basis. I mean, it, you just, you just talked about it, Pablo. There is, we have a phenomenal executive leadership program at Stanley that I didn't come in on. <laughs> now I'm an executive at Stanley, but when I started, I wasn't on the, the, the Stanley leadership program. There was a track of people who, were identified and, and many who have gone on to lead. And, you know, there, there's a lot of gaps that I have when I start to look, if, if I was to just resume glance, I'm like, wow, look at it. MBA and they've got, you know, time here in, in this business. And, and so I thought, man, I, today I woke up and said, how am I going to prove my worth? And tomorrow I'll wake up and I say, how am I going to prove my worth? And I think that comes from, it certainly comes from starting you know, at, at the entry level and, and trying to figure out what's right. It, it certainly comes from, I think, I think in corporate America anyways, and I, I don't know if, if Bo shares this too, the, the, the whole MBA discussion is one that kind of nauseates me. People have them and it's phenomenal, but I've seen a, a lot of people come into Stanley with phenomenal creds and, and not be able to navigate the organization because they don't understand what the customer needs. And so where I'm, where I'm over-indexed, I think, is is understanding how to build a team and understanding how to help our customers. And where I'm under-indexed and I'm constantly looking for people on my team to help me 
is just in general gaps right, that I didn't get as I grew professionally through a commercial lens. Right. I was a sales guy the whole time. It wasn't until um, maybe I got into my upper leadership where I started to sort of, you know, broaden that out a little bit and get, uh, get some pretty good exposure to the overall P and L and understand the general puts and takes. I mean, I had a very commercial lens through my formative years, if you will. And so I've, you know, I've learned a lot very quickly about the, the biases that I perceived based on being a salesperson in the field and feeling slighted based on commission things. And, and then I go and then I understand, okay, how do we pay commissions? And, 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 you know, is it really fair for us to pay them in this sense? And now I've got it, I've got this fun balance of now being the orchestrator of those conversations and trying to level set with this field. So anyways, yes, all the time, you know, I feel, I feel the need to be validated and that's not, I don't know if it's necessarily healthy, but I think it's also for me and be interested for both. I think it's also what's driven me. Not, not a lot of people talk about people from Rochester, New York and have like, people don't talk about Rochester, New York. Like it's a, it's just, it is what it is. Like people don't talk about the Buffalo Bills. It is what it is. Like I, I just, I've always had a, people don't talk about a D3. I was a D, you know, a D3 athlete, didn't do it. So I just, I've always found a chip on my shoulder. I, I probably created it myself um, more than it actually needed to be there. And I don't know, that's kind of translated into a daily basis. I get up and I, I try and validate my worth and, and it, it feels like a rat race to a certain extent, but it, it, it definitely is real. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's real. You know, you, you touched on something that I was actually going to ask earlier. So I'm glad that you brought it back up is the thought of imposter syndrome, like that, not really discussed a lot, but it's something, and I'm glad you said it, like, I feel it constantly, you know, daily, probably multiple times, like, you know, you, you really just struggle with it, uh, or at least I struggle with it, especially as I kind of move into a new field. You know, I've get, I was given healthcare innovation, I understood healthcare, but I was also challenged with standing up our, our venture platform. I'd never, never once, you know, I always knew venture and, and private equity PE guys is like, man, those guys are like really cool. Right. And, uh, you know, so really just trying to lean in. So one of the first things I did was pick up the phone and call, uh, we have a relationship with a venture capital and just said, can I come work for you guys for free in addition to what I'm doing, but can I come work for you? So that was, but, you know, you talk about validation, you, you know, I spent the better part of my career or early part of my career, you know, I was kind of introduced through some family connections you know, my dad served on the board of directors of, of our healthcare system very, very early in my career. And so I spent a lot of time trying to validate myself and prove that I was not just my dad's son, that I was something more than that. As that transitioned and as I started to get older, I started to validate myself as a young leader again for myself to, to try to prove. And so that was kind of the fuel, you know, now as I, I kind of enter kind of the middle part of my career, a lot of the early part of my career were, was fueled off of emotion and drive. Now what I'm finding as, as I move into more senior leadership roles, that, that emotion can sometimes become reckless. And so I'm actually now trying to pull back from that and um, again, think about that it's okay to be wrong. Wrong proves that I'm actually learning something and growing. Now, obviously you can't be wrong over, you know, over and over and over again, because that doesn't lead, but 
you know, really trying to to move into that role and, and kind of find that mentorship because I'm no longer like a frontline leader. I'm moving into executive level leadership and I've got a lot of folks that are looking to me, not only for guidance and direction, but I also have the organization looking at me, you know, to, to build business units, to build business verticals, you know, kind of within our company and try to distinguish ourselves to, to ultimately serve our patients. So, I mean, it's real and it's, you, you know, understanding that and, you know, recognizing that it's just not talked about a lot. Again, I come back to where I said earlier, you know, you've always had this very, your, your vision of leadership was very stoic and that they had everything under control. I used to sit as chief of staff for our executive chairman and CEO. So I really kind of got to peek behind the curtain, but um, you know, I think everyone really needs to understand that, that we all have vulnerabilities and to be a true authentic leader We've got to be, we've got to recognize those, keep those in check. We've got to continually work and grow. You know, it never, ever stops. And we got to listen to our team um, and listen to our customers as we move forward. Yeah, there are so many bad decisions made on a daily basis because people don't want to admit that they don't know the right answer. Right. I mean, and that, and that's, and that, that can be in a large organization that can be in a small business if if your if your imposter syndrome is 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 driving your decisions and we talked about it the other day i think i think this i mean your post preempted this conversation that we all got talking to each other about and the idea of, of being comfortable being vulnerable and it, and it is an interesting dynamic i don't know the right answer to this because you certainly want to be vulnerable and you certainly want to, I like to, we say crowdsource excellence in my team. We try and just, just, you know, get, get a constant feedback loop, but you do also have to provide direction and stability and confidence and clarity. So you can't always be like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, like there is a time when you've got to sort of, but it is absolutely critical to sort of, um, source that feedback from your team, welcome it. And also uh, I I think um, call out the fact I do on a regular basis. We do this with our team meetings. Um, Yeah. If you, if you have someone who's worked for the the industry for 25 years, saying something as simple as I'm actually going to let Mike answer this question because he knows more about this than I do. Mm. You know, it's, it's just a small thing in passing. It's a nod from leadership to say that someone is more qualified than you in something it's promoting someone on your team at the same point in time. It's a, it's, it's giving permission to other aspiring leaders to be vulnerable and know that, you know, it's not perfect because if you don't do that, I found in my experience with a large organization that you can have a very large organization that can still be key person dependent. Um, And it doesn't need to be but you have people who are acting in their own interest as opposed to in the interest of the broader organization and not, not because of ill intentions, but because of really, you know, it's more ego driven and, and not being comfortable being vulnerable. You have people who just don't like to admit that they don't know when someone who could solve that question, that very question that you're trying to solve for sitting right next to you with a wealth of information and you just didn't have the guts to say, I don't know. Um, and that, and that could have been solved. So I think I'm so excited just to, to continue to push the envelope and, and how much we're willing to admit that we don't know and grow together because 
you solve things so much quicker. Uh, you, you, you get to the root cause so much quicker and you solve things for your, for, for the teams you lead and the customers you serve. So one of the, that, yeah, man, I, I, like, I, I remember this conversation that we kind of started going down this path as I'm like walking my dog and you had just responded to my LinkedIn post of, you know, where all this came from, man. And it brings me back to core values as the, as the bumper rails for not knowing, right? Like I think about the first time that I really started to, that it really started to affect me was I did this leadership Miami program where it's like a nine month kind of like master's in civic engagement where every month, you know, first Saturday of the month, you're learning about something that has to do with society. But the capstone project is on that first meeting, they put you in a room with 15 people you've never met that have all opted into a leadership program. So they all fancy themselves leaders and they tell you, go execute a project for a nonprofit and support something. And that's it. That's all they tell you. Right. So, and you can't have a hierarchy. You can't, you can't elect a president and a vice president or whatever. And our moderators, the, the, um, the guides, I guess, man, there's, there's a facilitator, the facilitator, you know, the first exercise they sat us down and said, all right, guys, let's, let's talk about what's negotiable and what's non-negotiable in the way that we treat people here. Right. And I didn't realize it back then, but to me, that was a core values conversation. And now, as I look at this customer, this client that I told you that I have a super man crush business crush on, I, you know, the first thing when they first signed my contract, they were like, come to our, our Tuesday morning meeting. I was just telling you guys why I hate Microsoft teams and I can't make this meeting anymore. Right. At first I'm like, ugh, roll back my eyes in the, in, in my head. And I'm like an employee meeting. Great. I really want to go to this. And I get there and it's 85, their entire staff just glued attention to each other. And it starts off with a core values call out, right? So they empower people to stand up in front of the whole company and acknowledge somebody else for the core value that they've been up, that they witnessed them upholding. And that's like the beginning of this meeting, which ends up being this whole, like why everybody's always on the same page and everybody's doing that. And, and then I read, Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0, Jim Collins, where he's talking, you know, like the whole seats on the bus and 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 all that stuff, right? So I'm 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 giving this whole thing because I think in what you said, my thesis of how do you navigate telling people that you don't know what you're doing, or at least admitting I'm not a hundred percent sure of this, we're moving into unknown territory, is by establishing these kind of like ground rules of like wherever we go, we're going to go in these bumper lanes of core values. And we're going to stick to that. And and the key is to have a goal in mind and then have the things that are non-negotiable and then the rest of the path will figure itself out. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm setting all this up to ask you guys how present has core values been within your, within your professional framework? Like how, how, how how often is it brought up? Is is it something that you navigate by? Is it something that is in the is in your collective mindset to navigate by too? But maybe it's not being done as much as it should be. Just kind of want to want to open it up about core values and your experience with them within these large corporations. Okay, um, so I think so. Stanley Blackmaker's done a great job of establishing, and, and really they were. Uh, I want to say it was 2016, I think, when we reintroduced our purpose. So that was when a lot of purpose projects were going on. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I'll be honest with you, at the time, I'm like, this feels like it's it's just, it feels 
a little bit like window dressing, right? It's not, um, but, uh, but we, we landed on a corporate purpose, which is for those who make the world. And then from there, every business unit kind of was tasked at, at making it their own and, and sort of instilling and empowering employees to make it their own. From a corporate perspective, it, it was rolled out really well, and they do a phenomenal job. Where the rubber meets the road is if a, if a middle manager actually is, is kind of abiding by those same principles. And those look and feel, in my experience, those look and feel a lot different than you know, our corporate town halls where we're talking about, you know, specific core culture um, and attributes we're looking for. For me, a way that I sort of reset it on a daily basis is, it's funny, today, I I guess yesterday was my staff call. So yesterday I brought up, we're in quota setting season, right? So for salespeople, that's a highly emotional time in their year. And I advised our management team, I said, hey, you are empowered. You are you are within your rights to feel uh, emotional about whatever the number ends up being. No one is ever empowered, or will it ever be allowed to speak to anyone without professionalism and and allowing grace, understanding that everyone's got a job to do. So, we really started to address it, and it's a little thing, right? But for me, it's a it's an action. We we started addressing it in how we talk to people in emails. Like I think in corporate culture, you get all, all the time, Bo can relate to this, you get CC'd on an email exchange that's been going on for 20 days. Like you're just like, what is this? And you're just looking back and you're trying to scroll through and you're trying to find root cause. That's another whole conversation on corporate communication and how that needs to be resolved. But but you basically get escalated things by someone CCing you on something or forwarding you something. And the first thing I've, I've started doing now is instead of actually looking what the root cause is in itself, I go back and I copy and paste the original email. If it's from my team, I said, hey, where's your salutation? Why didn't you start this email with a greeting? What, what, how would you receive this email if out of nowhere someone said to you, they skipped, hi, how you're doing? I hope all is well. And they skipped right to why wasn't this resolved? No, no one wants to be put on the defensive the first thing they do to start the day. And so we can talk about, and I think we should talk about sort of those more grandiose visions around corporate culture and, and your purpose, but it starts with basic respect and understanding. And, and it's, it's so cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. Simon says it all the time. No one wakes up every day and says, I want to fail. Like, no one's like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stink today. Like, everyone's like, I'm going to get up. I got a lot going on. Lord knows I got a lot of baggage going on right now that you don't know anything about. I I feel a certain way about this pandemic. I'm scared crapless about what's going on. There's all this stuff going on. And we immediately have the audacity as as uh, if we're not doing this correctly, to, to just think selfishly and think, why didn't you do this right? And so what I've tried to start to course correct in our organization, and the team's done a great job of this, they're not intentionally being jerks when they send an email. They're being short because they have a lot of things going on. But educating the team on how that makes you feel when you read it back and you flip it around, just small tweaks and saying, I'm not going to respond to this email if I don't see a greeting to your colleague, and I'm not going to jump in to solve this problem 
if I don't see a professional response. I'm not even going to look at what the root cause is. I'm not even going to try and resolve this contract issue. We're not even going to set up this call because of how the way we talk to each other. And so for me, that's how I've tried to, I've tried to address it. And, I, and I'll give the team a ton of credit. They've, they've responded really well. No one intentionally wakes up to try and be a bad person. No one intentionally wakes up to try and fail at their job. And I mean, grace is the word that comes up a lot. Giving people grace, you know, uh, to anyways. So I'm running on, but that's, that's sort of how we're addressing it. Or I'm trying to on a daily basis. I like it, man. I like I like the micro the micro correction on rules of engagements is essentially is essentially that right. Like giving people the frameworks of how stuff works well as a process, as opposed to you know only measuring the result. Is I guess kind of like if we were to extrapolate what core values represent. Um, Bo, have you seen anything that works like that, or anything uh, anything around the? be setting up bumper lanes or, or setting up rules of engagement something like that? You know, coming back to the original question uh, along values, mm-hmm. I think they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're just kind of understood and back to Cal's point. I mean, caring, honesty, respect, I mean, yeah. faith, quality, uh, creativity. I think those are our values. Um, you know, those were kind of understood, but, you know, when I was chief of staff for our executive chairman and CEO, I also oversaw our governance structure. We started every single board meeting with a mission moment. And that was always very powerful. And so that was always, it, it could be anything. It could be a video, it could be a patient uh, testimonial, it could be just a number of different things. But we started every single board meeting with that kind of mission moment to remind everyone what our mission was, but also relate it to like real world, right? When we think about quality and, and, you know, the results of like an infection rate, like a quality or collapse or something like that, a hospital acquired infection, we might be doing very well, but if we have one, that's one person. And if that's your mom, that's your dad, that's your brother, sister, that's your neighbor, that's your best friend, whoever, your spouse, like that one becomes, pretty significant, right? Like we can all relate to that. And so, you know, kind of coming back to those, those core values, I, I think they become just hopefully ingrained in, in how we're doing stuff. But, but I love the idea of starting, uh, you know, a meeting where others are recognized, your team is recognizing others because really and truly that starts to pull them closer together. Uh, and, and it starts them to, I would think to make them self-aware of, of watching others so that they have the opportunity to say, Hey, I saw Pablo last week and he, uh, you know, did X, Y, and Z. Um, and then, you know, Pablo, you're like, man, I didn't think you guys saw that. That's, that's fantastic. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, there's, we there's started a lot- this thing, Pablo. Um, sorry, did you reminded me of it? And Bo just reminded me of it again. So we started this thing about four years ago called thank you Thursday. So within, within Stanley black and Decker, we have a, communication tool called workplace so it's facebook it's a facebook engine but it's just workplace so it's a it's an internal facebook and so i would require but it 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 quickly grew that every sales team member every thursday would have to post someone not from sales that they're thankful for and why so in order for a salesperson to be successful there's six other functions in the business that that help us serve our customer and help us actually do the job 
and it started off with a ton of what you would expect eye rolling and you know groaning about the process and then before you know it like every time you would tag someone in your thank you they'd get an email and so you'd have a technician who got an email after a bad day and was like oh like that's kind of cool and they would they would respond so what started as i think it was like 25 people who originally posted now every every thursday there's roughly 450 thank you posts that go out um and now it's cultural so i didn't even think about i wasn't thinking i didn't even think about it when you first asked me the question until bo kind of met um bo noted to his his mission statement kind of before the board meeting that is that's a cultural thing that's something we do every day that we didn't do um four years ago i love it by the way this is for the record this is my favorite part of this conversation so far like i've, I've been looking for other companies that are implementing that thing, right? Because I, to me, that core values call out has everything in it, right? Like it's like the making somebody feel like they acknowledged it. It makes you look for it. It also allows somebody to stand up. It, it incentivizes public speaking, right? Like it incentivizes people to be like, hey man, I'm going to stand up to recognize somebody else, but I'm going to get recognition in front of my bosses and whatever, because I'm speaking out public. But I love, I like the mission. The mission thing is cool because- mm-hmm. Again, I think it's all I think it's all between destination and core values and and contextualizing the gap in between, right? So the saying, you know, this is this is something that supports our mission and contextualized to why is ingra- is ingraining that stuff. I love the thank you Thursdays because now you're putting a culture of gratitude and acknowledgement in, right? Like I think those are the kinds of tools that I think conversations like these can kind of like open up your mind to, Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to implement that here. Right. Um, but you're spending a lot of time now in a, in a different space, right? Like you are in this like venture capital space. It's not the healthcare environment. I'm, I'm a really, really big fan of exactly what's happening right now. This, how can I take something from, you know, my 10 years of networking through nonprofits was just like, how can I take what my, Northwestern Mutual guy is doing and apply it to what a, you know, uh, IT company could be doing kind of thing, right? Like now that you have radically changed environments and worlds and, and, and you're overlapping between this healthcare world and Silicon Valley world, what are you seeing? What strikes you as different that you're like, Oh, I want to add that feather to my cap. Have you, have you had any moments like that? I'd say just first off, the the thing that's most different is just how open the community is. Like the entrepreneurs and innovators are just, I mean, you want to talk about like just growth and connection. They love it. Uh, you know, I, I had the luxury of connecting with Kyle early 2020, January-ish. And he connected me kind of with his innovation group. And, and I was out on the, the West Coast doing a deal. And so connected with them and flew up to, to San Jose and hung out with them and, and Sunnyvale and no expectation whatsoever. And it was like, oh, man, you, you've got to meet this person and this person and this person. Hour long conversations with all these people that I still have conversations to today. So bringing that back to healthcare. um, it, it's so cool because having it, it's opening doors and having conversations with folks that we normally wouldn't have conversations with. And so it's constantly challenging status quo of like, 
but you, you know, you, you get back to like the, the lean principles and lean methodologies about the five whys, you know, you basically, you ask why, 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 and, and healthcare is really good about asking why, and we answer it and then we just move on trying to get down all the way down to like the fundamental of like, why do you truly do it this way becomes really important. And so it's really kind of challenging you to think about things differently. And so that's been the, 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 the most exciting thing and rewarding thing that I've seen as I move into a different space is just the collaboration that's going on because you have so many people from different walks of life that are coming in and saying, you know, Deborah's mentioned some, a lot of stuff in the chat. They're coming from a different background and they're coming from a different experience and saying, I think I can solve this problem this way. Can you help me? Healthcare's now got to say yes. And we can't say, we do it this way. You need to do it this way. We can say, here's how you need to be thinking about it and challenging it, but being open to those changes. I think that becomes so important. Again, it, it, it kind of comes back to the vulnerability. It comes back to the experience thing. We've got to be able to leverage that for what we need. But at the same time, we can't necessarily let it drive a lot of what we're doing. So we've got to be able to, to open and rethink a lot of these things that we're doing. Kyle, when you when you hear Bo Bo talking about that stuff, man, what's what's going on in your head? Do you do you get do you get any kind of like structured play with people that are nothing like you outside of your industry in any way? Like what is what is what is your exposure to total outside influence? Maybe pre-COVID is more more apt for for comparison, right? Yeah, it's I'll be honest, it's not as broad as I'd like it to be. Um, I spent a lot of time when I was running for us, um, a few years back, our, 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 what was a campus vertical for North America. So basically leading our initiatives around our university customers, as well as our healthcare customers. And in that moment, I was spending a lot of time with university business officers, presidents, um, and, and in that, in that moment, it was really interesting to understand or to try to figure out how we help them solve what they're measuring. And they're not just strictly measuring, um, you know, how secure their, their campus is, right. They're, they're looking at a, at a plethora of things of how they can, um, how they can provide the best experience for their customers, which are students and, and staff. And so in, in that role, I really sort of, um, broaden my horizon of the type of people that I was interacting with and the type of way we should think about talking and speaking with our customers and most importantly, listening to our customers. Um, now I'll be honest. I, I was, I was thinking about that with, when Bo was talking about sort of getting exposed to a totally different community. I, I've definitely had a lot of experience of that, especially in the corporate world where we were working on corporate partnerships with our corporate partners and things of that nature. But every day, um, one of the things that I struggle with is the security industry is being disrupted as we speak. It is, um, there are so many exciting things going on with it um, with regards to how we leverage our data to be more than a security provider, to be, to be a, to be a business advocate, to be a customer advocate. Um, but there's also something in me. So I'm, I'm constantly struggling and I'd be interested. I know this isn't exactly where you're going, Pablo, but it's an interesting thought that I don't know if Bo shares this too, or you do. I'm so fixated on 
knowing what we can do right now and knowing how many gaps we currently have and 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 being the best security service provider um and i'm so passionate about it that that sometimes it almost feels like that holds me back from really engaging with what's currently disrupting us um which is a, a whole bunch of new technology that's being um injected into our space so i have a constant change management struggle going on internally because i'm um, really passionate about providing the, the best service as we can right now. And I'm not blind to the fact that new services are coming. Um, so it, it's just interesting because when, when Bo was kind of talking about getting out there and exposing himself to other things, I'm like, man, I wish I wish I had an opportunity to do that. I wish I had done that more, but I've been on a, a, a pretty laser focused um, customer experience journey here over the last couple of years because we are so close in my opinion and we're so close to doing something really well that I think the industry hasn't done really well ever. And just as we're doing that, we're starting to get a whole bunch of different factors coming in that are sort of disrupting the, the industry in general. So I'm currently wrestling with that change management myself. Personally, I'm asking my team to embrace it, but again, in in a moment of of vulnerability, I'm still working through it on a, meeting by meeting basis. Have you thought about solving that from the perspective of kind of what you talked about, like hiring for the gaps, right? Like, have you, have you, have you thought about creating this who's looking at 10 years out role, like, like creating a role for somebody like a bow that could help you diversify into that knowledge and, and, and be bridging that gap while you are working on solving the, the present day stuff. So our organization has that we have a ventures group, we have an innovation group. Um, and one, one of the, the groups that the Bo worked with, they actually were set up outside of the organization uh, specifically to, to, to ensure that they didn't have Stanley blinders on. It's kind of the way that we built our, our innovation team. Um, so it exists and they're, and they're constantly looking at how we're doing things and letting us know where we have gaps. Um, I don't know. I, I was pivoting it back to the group here because I don't know if, if you guys struggle with the same sort of change management process that I, that I do. Like I, I just, I know we, I know Bo personally, I know he's a, he's a perfectionist in a lot of things. You get right to the point where you're like, we got it. We got, X mission solved. You're so close. And then, okay, we're pivoting. That happens all the time. I think in in corporate America, maybe more so than in other places, but being, being flexible with a pivot is kind of critical because it happens all the time. Well, it's, it's funny you should say that because I'm actually, I'm actually trying to be the catalyst. That's the pivot. See? So, so, so healthcare sits, in a space and they're trying to solve X and I'm trying to work with the entrepreneurs and be with the private equity and the VC guys out in front to say, okay, while you guys are solving this, here's what they're working on. So we've got to be able to, you know, be able to get there soon. And, and, and it becomes challenging, right? Like how do you, do you disrupt your current revenue stream uh, to be able to transition, to pivot to something that, that doesn't exist by the way, um, 
you know, LinkedIn posts with all the uh, overused jargon. Pivot is definitely pivot. That, we've said pivot a lot this one. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, you, you know, how do you disrupt your revenue stream? And that's a challenge, right? I mean, that's when it comes back to leadership. So we 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 talk a lot about these vulnerabilities and all this thing, all all these other things. But you know, at the end of the day, to be a leader, you've got to be able to lean on your team to take all the values, and then you've got to develop a, a formulated opinion, make that decision, and then you got to move the group forward with conviction. And sometimes that's, that's very challenging. Sometimes it's, you know, putting on a bulletproof vest and taking the, the darts and the bullets and, and everything like that, like that becomes challenging, but you, you know, that becomes really the, the, the hardest part kind of about leadership because again, I come back and, and it's a firm belief of mine, like we win as a team. And then, you know, the, if we fail somewhere along the way, in, in my belief, I've got to shield my team from that. And, and you know, we can debrief internally and, and learn and grow from that. But that's ultimately on me because I made that decision and I've got to be convicted in moving that forward. And so, you know, you know we, we talk a lot about that, but, but kind of coming back, you know, it's funny you mentioned that you're so close to perfection. I, I'm the one that's like, Kyle, you're so close, but we need to be thinking about this because there's mm-hmm. a lot that's coming in on the space. So. Yeah, Kyle, I, I find myself kind of on Bo's, in Bo's realm of like, I guess we almost have this luxury of being able to look into the future and, 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 and being working on that future problem. When I think about closeness to perfection, it, it feels almost like a false belief, right? Yeah, like if, no, it is. You know, it feels like you're holding on to something that doesn't really exist, right? Like we are in such a rapidly changing world that it's what is the definition of, of perfection of what you're doing and how long will that moment last, right? Like how long does that perfect moment last? Whereas the idea of creating a pathway that you're procedurally working towards improvement is probably much more of a sane equation. Oh, yeah. Well, I think Bo hit on the biggest challenge. So if we bring it all the way back to the purpose of this conversation, the biggest challenge to um, to anything that you do from a corporate standpoint is how do you impact culture while also delivering? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like that, whether it's changing, um, you know, changing the direction of the overall strategy, changing the way you talk to people, you treat each other. Um, Everyone can talk about it at a a town hall or a summit, but when it's the end of the quarter and it's 11 o'clock at night and, you know, you need to call someone up and, and how do you treat them then when you're, when you're, when you're missing your numbers? Like that's, that's, I think what, what I don't see a lot of people talk about is the challenge within it really changing the culture is doing it when it is most challenging from a financial performance perspective and corporate America at, at, at the end of the day, you know, we have, we have investors and we need to meet those obligations. So there's certain external stressors that can negatively impact progress or anything you're trying to do whether you're trying to, to change your strategies or you're trying to change the culture and it takes real strong leadership um, 
to, to continue to sort of lead through that. You know, as, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of this idea that when you are in a, when you're in an infinite game, right. To your boys, to your boys language, um, Mm -hmm. there is these moments where the short term doesn't look like it's panning out, but there's indicators for long-term. And I think in those moments, it's really attention to communication and the way that you deliver a message that really starts to pay off and really starts to compound if you continually are able to do it. And I think that may be at the core of the challenge, right? It's like when, when the house is burning and you know that the, you, you, maybe it's, maybe it's not a house burning analogy, right? But like, but, but when, when the short term, window isn't hit yet there is some indicator whether it is a data-driven indicator that a long-term play is coming together and you need to keep the sanity of the short-term failure in perspective to the to the long-term gain of what you're working on i find that people the biggest failure is when you don't take that extra minute, when you don't take that extra piece of strategy in mind of how you communicate it. Right. Like, and I, and I go back, I like to compare it to like this idea that you can live on a fixed income and save a hundred bucks a month. And then you spend, you know, two years doing that, but you go to Vegas for one day, you get drunk and you blow three grand and that whole savings is gone. And now you're like three years out again. Right. Like I, I, I see, I see critical communications during high pressure moments as those, as those like catalysts for making sure that there's a part of you that needs to make sure that the trajectory is going up, but there's also a part of you that makes sure that there's no bottom that drops too low, even when, even when you take a step. And to me, it's communication, right? Like, I I don't know. What do you guys think? 100%. I mean, communication is everything. Right. And so if you're early in leadership, start having those crucial conversations to learn. You're you're not going to be, you know, you're going to have learning along the ways, but just communicate. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where communication becomes. I mean, at the end of the day, communication becomes huge. If you're going to miss your numbers, you're going to miss your numbers and you're not going to do anything about it. But you've got to communicate. You've got to learn why you missed your numbers and you got to make a plan for you know, what you're going to do to resolve that. Um, and, 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 you know, same thing. I mean, you, you've got to communicate with your team. You've got to communicate with your customers, even when it's bad news. Uh, and, and, you know, that can be challenging. Um, but, you know, at the communication, in my opinion, is at the root of a lot of the problems we have, whether it's personally, professionally, whatever it may be, communication is at the core of everything. you got to communicate. Yeah, it's it's the the one word I'd add, and Bo implied it. I think I think a lot of leaders are really good at starting communication, but it's consistent communication, and it's like daily. Like I over-index my time on communication, and that's there's a daily note that I send out, there's a daily video that I send out, there's there's a time that I break out just for phone calls, just random phone calls to to people in my organization, and it's it's something that you have to do when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, it is, um, 
it, it is the anchor point. I think I truly think Bo, and I don't know if you feel the same way to, I would say your, your, your overall corporate culture and, and where we've, where we've struggled, I think not we Stanley black and Decker, but the industry in general and corporate America in general, especially in the face of all of these unprecedented challenges, external challenges that we're going through right now is you make the mistake. And this is, this is another podcast for another day, but I think the previous generation of leaders want to kind of say, they want to assess what's going on, think about what's going on and have a very crafted statement. Uh, And that's all founded in a lot of really good reason, but, I've found, you know, take a moment to assess, but then get out communication. There was dark spots and gaps throughout this pandemic where people are wondering what the heck is going on? Am I going to have my job? How are we approaching these things? Um, and, and you just saw it, you saw it across every industry, how, um, people had ideas that manifested just because they weren't, they weren't informed on a regular basis. Communications, it, it, it's the end game. That's what solves it all. Yeah, I think I definitely think that's a a podcast for another day because, you know, you run the risk in the 24 hour news cycle and, you know, social media and everything else that the reason everything is so calculated is because of just people picking it and tearing it apart. Um, But at the end of the day, as a leader, you know, you've got to be you've got to communicate and over communicate and to Kyle's point, communicate consistently. I think that in in my opinion, I think that's where corporate doesn't understand the idea that they still think that communication is it's it's what you guys are talking about. They think that communication is like wait, react, treat communication like a press release when we have completely transformed into a ever present communication culture and you got to keep up with that speed of communication, right? Like there there needs to be a there needs to be a regular forum that is paced out where a company can communicate with their clientele at large. There needs to be a regular forum where a company can communicate with their employees at large, right? Like the the daily press conference for a football team, I think needs to get adopted in social media for, for large organizations, right? Like there needs to be that at bat because then every soundbite, right? Like if you are, if you are up in front of whatever I said today, Whatever I was wrong about today, tomorrow, if you show up again, you can you can course correct a little bit instead of course correct in a month when the imagination can run wild. Um, I, I don't know, man. Well, and I and think I, the, I I think that, the I pandemic think of, probably, I think the pandemic made a lot of people aware of that. So I, I've, I've actually seen yeah. a lot of companies change because of the pandemic and they've had that realization. So if you we talked about it earlier. Sorry to cut you off there, Pablo, but it, it made me realize like there was a lot of really good lessons learned in 2020 and maybe daily communication wasn't required prior to that, but, but kind of in the throes of chaos it is. And I saw a lot of really good best practices get developed from, from learnings. So you can, you can hope, I mean, I've seen it personally with how we approach our communications both internally and externally. I know that, that, that some similar peers are doing the same type of things, which they weren't maybe doing four or five years ago. 
you just you really hope that everyone's taking these learnings from this past year and not thinking it's something that just applies to you know when we're in a pandemic i'm hoping that a lot of people are taking these in and implementing in their their new operating rhythms i mean i think from the healthcare perspective you know i'm i'm i maybe i'm na- naive but you know i'm hoping that a lot of this this change is is you know starting to to root within the industry and so yeah no i'm i'm hopeful that this change is for the good and then you know can healthcare be the catalyst by which everything else starts to change and you know i kind of posed that question the other day was you know, as as we become, as we seek uh, a new way to access healthcare, whether it be virtually at home, you know, that kind of environment, and and become accustomed to that. I mean, that's a pretty sensitive, vulnerable time in your life when you're seeking healthcare. And if we can get comfortable at that point, how easy does it come to impact other industries? And so, while it might not be a threat to other industries, it might be coming. So. Yeah, man, that makes a lot of sense. Um, guys, this has been awesome, man. Like, I'm I'm really glad, Bo. I give you, you know, I give you credit for the idea of putting this thing, kind of like putting the three of us together. I've been I've been chasing Kyle for a while. I could get him on the phone, but I I couldn't get him on camera, which is uh, you know, I think it's it's been uh to the detriment of my own health not to see his beautiful face. So I'm glad he's on. Um, the the, the I, whole new father thing leave. makes it a little challenging, but but I I admit Bo's Bo's a father times two, and he's much better at communication. Speaking of communication, <laughs> <laughs> um, as someone that's terrified by the work that it takes to rear children, man, I my hats to both of you guys for being up and having energy at nine thirty o'clock at night. I'm I'm like tired, and I'm and I don't have kids, but you know I, I would love to I would love to end this kind of with like a final thought piece of advice around when was a moment in your career that you felt you leveled up right like what what is what does leveling up feel like and what was the cocktail that got you there that someone can can use and since i kind of sprung this on you guys and i see you looking up into the right and, and thinking about your answer i'm happy to answer it because I've, I've been kind of thinking about it of, of how i'm going to finish this unless somebody has something to go with cool so I mean, i've got one but i want to hear yours Fine. Fine. Well, I have one and I want to hear yours too. Um, For me, it was the moment when I realized that I had built up enough of a network that I felt bulletproof. It was the moment, it was the moment where there was a couple of transitions of leadership at the last company that I was working at. And I had the decision to make of, do I continue to invest in my, invest my time into the community of of building these networks and these young professional groups, which I eventually ended up leveraging to get me to my next level um, versus staying in the office longer to impress somebody that I just didn't feel like I needed to impress. Like I, I felt like that was a real level up moment. And then, and then how it actually manifested was, you know, the CEO at the time got invited to speak on a panel about smart cities and, he didn't want to go. So when I showed up to to this panel, I I shared the stage with a couple of people that are that are well above my ilk, right? Like it was like the head of Latin America for Cisco Systems and the head of the Smart Cities Initiative for the World Bank. And um, when I came off the stage and I and there were six people deep wanting to talk to me, and I realized how powerful the stage was in like adding value to whatever I was saying in front of this audience. And then in my head thinking, 
instead of how do I get on more stages, I thought, how can I leverage a stage to serve other people? And then realizing that I have an audience, right? Like because of this work I had put in of, of diversifying my influence, not just within my company, but outside of my company, I was able to put on an event for a client that I, w- that I wanted to land and prove my thesis of this is the way that we need to be doing business development. That to me, that, that, that moment of understanding that if you have served enough people, it works as a, a bare, like a floor, right? Like we talked about, like not letting that floor go too, go too low. That idea definitely felt like a major level up in my career which is contradictory to the other levels up of just like getting promoted and whatever. But it, it, it felt like the moment that I reached that, that kind of like self-reliant level of you can't take these relationships away from me. That felt like a real, real level up that I, that I essentially have used as a floor going forward. For me, um, that was, that was great, Pablo. Um, for me, it was recent. So, so last year we had to do, so I'm, I'm I pretty much made my career. I'm being sort of the fiery charismatic leader who, who kind of just, um, knows it, knows the industry. So I can, I can be sort of a servant leader, at least in our, in our, in our space, because I've done most of what I'm asking the team to do on a daily basis. Um, but probably if I was to assess my, my, my path there, um, you know, probably talk too much, didn't listen enough. Not probably, definitely talk too much, didn't listen enough. Um, you know, always the one, I mean, this goes back to before my professional career, always, always the one talking and not listening, probably a little bit of a class con as well. This, this past year, we were presented with a couple different unique crises within crises within our organization, um, where it required us to roll up our sleeves and get things done in a very urgent manner. Um, one, one obviously was just the pandemic in general and how we, we solved for what was a, a really challenging environment for our customers who are trying to mitigate disease spread or virus spread, I should say, um, uh, uh, at their facilities. And then another was navigating some, some system challenges we were having internally. And I think for me, there was um there was there was a couple pauses and who was going to take lead here and this wasn't a sales thing or a ops thing or an IT thing we just we we needed we needed bodies to do things to fix the problem and um my team and 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 others were able to solve it in a pretty quick manner and i was like hey you know what you didn't have to talk and be the jokester and be the funny guy and be the one who, you you got in and you got it done and it was pretty significant what we were able to accomplish. And for me, that was like, all right, you're more than just, you're more than just a sales guy. You're more than just the commercial head or the mouthpiece. You know, there's an opportunity here for you to really impact a broader organization. Um, and, and I think the thing that I took away from that, and this is kind of what, you know, Pablo, you and I have talked about the whole time. There is a lot of value in being able to identify people that can solve problems and be the facilitator of the person who's getting the right people to solve those problems. Like, so, so in this scenario, I wasn't doing any of the work that actually, that actually solved the problem, but I was quickly able to assess who 
we needed, who had the skill sets that we needed, and how to give direction in order to solve that problem. And I think, and we're coming up with a whole list of different podcasts. You want to talk about imposter syndrome. And that's something I'm really good at that I've never been able to actually put a finger on and say, that's a skill set. Yeah. Like chief, you know, connector, right? Chief executive connector, facilitator. Like that's not something that falls into a functional role. That's not something you put on your resume, but that's, that's a huge thing. And so I felt in that moment because of the gravity of what we were going through and the result that we had, that, that was a moment of clarity for me was like, you're, you're good at that. You're good at the facilitation of, of things and people and assessing you yourself may not be fixing anything, but you're good at identifying people that can get there. And so that was probably my level up moment. That's a good one, man. That's awesome. And, and yeah, to, to your point, that soft skill is only becoming more and more valuable in, in a rapidly automating digital world, right? Like totally. Yeah. I mean, I would say mine was fairly recent too, and, you know, still struggle with imposter syndrome. And there's, there's obviously even recently points in my career where I've been promoted into roles, uh, being an interim CEO, uh, president and CEO of a, a startup early in 2020 was, you know, something that, that definitely was like, whoa, this is, this is kind of new, uh, you know, dealing in, in completely new world. But I would say it's been even more recent than that when I feel like I've, from a leadership standpoint, I've, I've, I've and Kyle touched on a lot of this, I, I've had the ability to sit in meetings and listen and not feel like I constantly have to interject and be a part of the conversation that I'm comfortable enough to listen to process understand how the, the conversation is going. And when I communicate, communicate in enough words, words to be effective without having to feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm speaking in front of my boss, right? Like I'm like really, uh, I'm, I'm on a stage, you, you know, you talk about being on a stage, like I'm on a stage and like what I, I don't want it to be in that particular thing. And so, I mean, that's really been, powerful to me and I'm still embracing and playing with that um, and trying to understand that because I've, I've always been, I've always been the guy that's had something to prove. So I've come into meetings and, and, you know, bang my fist on the table and said, you know, da, 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 da. And, you know, been a part of the conversation and I'll do that and you should be doing this and, and everything like that. And from a leadership standpoint, being able to listen to be able to synthesize the information, to organize it, and then to task out if it's my team, task out with my team to be able to achieve that objectives without necessarily having to feel like I'm sitting at the head of the table and I'm on a stage. That's huge, man. That's huge. Guys, thanks. Thanks a million for doing this. This was awesome. It's good to good to see you guys. For those of us that joined, you know, those of you that joined us, Arte, Conrad, Craig, Deborah, Lisa that are still with us, I'm going to you know, usually I'm, I'm repurposing this stuff. It takes a little while longer, but I'm going to release the audio of this podcast this weekend. Tomorrow morning, there is a conversation that I had with Bo that has been edited and is ready to go with a bunch of micro content. That's going to, that's going to see the light of the internet. So that's going to be, I've, I've fast forwarded that one. So anybody that wants to know about, know more about Bo, he's going to be coming out on, on tomorrow morning's episode of the Chief Executive Connected Podcast. Kyle Gordon will be coming out soon. We have the, we have his guy, Paul Hevesy, that is uh, that that I'm interviewing on Friday. I'm pumped to, pumped to oh, talk to him. Oh, you are? Awesome. Yeah. Another leader. That's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk to him. 
And man, I'm just grateful to have you guys in my life, right? Like a shout out to the Hamilton family, right? Like we are all, we're all moons in the Hamilton universe, right? Like <laughs> none of us are a planet in it, but we're in there. <laughs> and and it's it's remarkable when you are open and seeking, you can find people that inspire you in all walks of life, right? So like the idea that on a family fishing trip, Kyle happened to be there with his with his new girlfriend and I, and I struck up our relationship and then, you know, we've gotten closer and then Bo has married into the family since, and and we've all been able to, to get close through personal things, but can leverage, you know, our knowledge, our, our, the type of people that we are in, in every aspect of our life is a really inspirational thing. And I feel really fortunate to, to have you guys in my life. So thank you very much. Cool. Pablo, Pablo. Uh, appreciate it. And I would love, I'd love to throw out an idea, like once a month, can we just host a panel and bring, you know, one or two folks in and, and the three of us just, I, I mean, I think there's so many different ways to, to attack this thing. I enjoyed it. I would love to, to do more and, you know, just something to, to chew on, you know, yeah. if it's about authenticity or vulnerability or somebody like that, I think we all have a network we could tap into and it would, you know, once a month would be worth the conversation. Well, I would, I would encourage you to, to listen. Yes, you are always invited on my panel and I'm in to do it once a month and have you in it. I'm going to, I'm going to get real active on this hub platform and start probably doing it once a week and, and maybe more than that, right? Like I'm trying to scale my relationships in a way where like right now I can't take a meeting until like April with somebody new, unless I move something around. So I'm trying to like open up a weekly session where it's like, all right, I'm going to talk to somebody that I really, really want to highlight for like about 15, 20 minutes. And then everybody else that wants a meeting with me can just show up and and get 15 minutes and give that value. So I'm happy to have you as as a panelist in that in that regard and, and plan around it. But I think there is, again, to the to the value of having audiences and having your own stage, I think there is a real tactical move for you to make that is have a have your own monthly kind of like panel thing that that you're having this conversation leverage hub leverage linkedin put it out in the ether like no we had you know we had six we had a max of like eight people join us today but this relationship and this conversation that we had is valuable no matter what hopefully it was valuable to whoever showed up and as you continue doing it that that audience grows right and you you get to have your own kind of like platform and i highly highly recommend it for you i think it'd do well for you and Love I'll it. show up. Love like, it. I'll, I'll get on one of your panels like two years from now, Bo. Something like that. Like just keep keep hunting me down. I'm in. I'll find you. I'll find you. <laughs> All right, fellas. Have a great night, man. Awesome. All right. Bye, everybody. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website, Because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.